0: You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at MidtownPres.org or follow us on Instagram
1: or Facebook.
2: At Midtown, we exist to invite people into a transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an awesome mission. And uh, we invite you to learn more and more about it if you are new to us. To start us with worship, I want to read from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Let's do that right now. Let's sing praises to the Lord.
3: Stand with me. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love Here I raise my Ebenezer Here by thy great help I've come And I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to arrive at home Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God He to rescue me from danger Interposed his precious blood Oh, that day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face Clothed in blood, washed linen How I'll sing thy sovereign grace Come my Lord, no longer tarry Take my ransomed soul away Send thine angels now to carry me to rounds of endless grace. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Come on, lift your voices. Goodness with a fetter. Bind my wandering heart to Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above Come on, let's give a shout of praise, sing it out Sing that out one more time, you.
0: Good morning, Midtown. morning, guys. Good to be with you. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Clint. I recognize a lot of familiar faces. I'm the pastor here at Midtown. Uh, guys, we have such a special Sunday uh, today, and uh, I'm glad to, to enter into this space, and you guys have been a central part of what we're going to get to celebrate today. Uh, I'm so grateful for each and every one of you in this room. Uh, as Gail mentioned before, we exist as a church to invite people into a transformative relationship with Jesus. And that's because we believe that the life of Jesus, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, but also the life that he taught us to live, that is, it is actually the life that our hearts and the deepest parts of us are really longing for. It's the life that the world outside these walls is deeply longing for, a life of peace and love and healing and grace. That's why we do what we do. We believe that embodying that life, inhabiting that life, receiving that life is exactly how we can bring life to the rest of the world. And one way we do that each week is by talking about the practice of generosity, which is a radical countercultural value. Uh, we live in a culture and a world that tells us constantly to grasp, constantly to grab, constantly to push, constantly to seek our way. That's where we're taught life is found in gaining more and getting more and receiving more and grasping more. And Jesus taught us a radically countercultural thing. He said, That's actually not the way to find life. You don't find life by constantly getting more. What you find are the epidemics of our world, loneliness, isolation, hopelessness. Uh, Those are the epidemics, by the way, that the Surgeon General of the U.S. states are the epidemics in our culture, loneliness, hopelessness. Getting and grasping and pushing does not bring us the life we're looking for, but giving, seeking first to the kingdom and giving ourselves away for the sake of others. That's the example that Jesus gives us. That's the example that we seek to embody. And that's why every week we talk about generosity here. There's a few different ways you can practice generosity at Midtown. You can do that uh, through your finances. You can give uh, at midtownpres.org uh, or at the uh, box on the way out or via the QR code here, that's financial giving. But we also believe that giving is much more than our finances. It is our finances, but much more. And so you can give of your time and your talents as well here on Sundays to make things happen like setting up mics and setting up chairs, but also through our neighborhood in a lot of the ways that we are seeking to participate in God's transforming power around us because we believe that church is never about four walls that we sit in. Church is always about the uh, existing for the sake of the world around us. The church only ever exists as a vehicle of God's mission to bring redemption and restoration. And so that's why we serve in the ways we do. So, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome, you are invited to give in a multitude of ways. You're invited to this radical countercultural practice of generosity that Jesus invites us into. Uh, know that that's always an invitation. That's never, you don't pay to come to church, you're not paying for religious services. It's always an invitation for you to participate in this transformative life of generosity. So, friends, I invite you to pray with me this morning for generosity in our community. Father, we are amazed at how good you are, as we just sang together, how good your grace and your mercy are. We thank you for your radical generosity that not only gives us breath in our lungs and gives us minds to think and bodies that work, but also that gave your son, that gave life, death, and resurrection that we might have new life. We thank you for the radical message of your gospel, the generous message of your gospel. Maybe we, may we be reminded this morning that we've been blessed by you in order to be a blessing, that we have received your generosity in order to be generous in the world around us. I pray that your spirit would work in and through our community in that way. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Just a couple quick announcements for you guys uh, before we transition in our service. These are ways that we are practicing generosity in and through our community and ways that you are invited to do so. Uh, The first announcement today is actually, well, what we're already in the middle of and what we're going to continue after service is over. So today is the celebration of Midtown becoming a self-sustaining, self-governing entity, which is an amazing organization. Yeah, 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 yeah amazing what God has been doing, and that is, uh, in many ways, thanks to you all. Uh, The church is only all of us. It's never one person standing up here singing a song or giving a message. Uh, And it's always important, too, to remember that the church is never existing for its own sake. Today is a celebration of Midtown, certainly, but way, way more than that. It's a celebration of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that Midtown has been a vehicle of and hopes to be a vehicle of in the future. This is not a rah-rah for Midtown, but more a celebration of our Lord Jesus, that he reigns, that he rules, and that we get to participate with him in that reign and rule. What a gift. And so we'll do that this morning, but also after service, you're invited to join us for lunch. And by the way, if this is your first day at Midtown, just here, free lunch. Come and have food with us. We're going to talk about, yeah, there you go. Jordan's excited for food. Um, We're going to have some time together to sit and reflect and enjoy community with one another, but we're also going to have some space to reflect on Midtown's past, present, and future to talk about what God has been doing, what God is doing, and what we see God inviting us into in this next season. So join us for that after service today, free food and uh, celebration together. Uh, next announcement up on our list is parents' night out. Parents, rejoice. You have a night out coming. Whatever it looks like for you to get into through and through the week, know that you have a date night with your spouse or you have a nice little R&R space or maybe just a nice long nap. Whatever you feel like you need. Uh, That can happen on parents' night out. Uh, So that's December 2nd, uh, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. in this building. So you come, you drop your kids off, and you don't worry about them for three hours. You don't have to care for them. You don't have to do anything for them. And you actually get some time to rest. Uh, And your kiddos will have an awesome time with Vanessa and our Kid Town team. Uh, They always do fun crafts. That's December, so my guess is it'll be Christmas-themed in some way or another. Uh, They'll have some space here. And kids always love being together, and parents always love have in their space as well. So a great time for your kids, a great time for you. Sign up on our website so we make sure we know uh, how many people are coming and and that we can provide well for that. So that's Parents Night Out. Uh, Second thing, the next night, December 3rd, we have a scripture reading event. We do these every once in a while at Midtown. Uh, You know, it's, it's great to have teachings of little sections of scripture each week. Those are really important for us. But sometimes another good practice is actually listening to the full story of Jesus from start to finish in one sitting as you might watch a movie, right? Because you get to see the full narrative flow of Jesus's life. And so this scripture reading event is gonna be that. We're gonna read a gospel together. See and, and hear and listen to the story of Jesus from start to finish. And we've done this before and it's amazing what gets illuminated in that practice. When you read the whole story, you're like, man, look at this theme or this idea or this repeated phrase or how Jesus shows up in these ways. It's an amazing, amazing opportunity. Uh, That's gonna be at Stephen and Elita Lufkin's house. Uh, So that's right around the corner. We'll have the address on our website, but save the date, December 3rd, 6 p.m. It takes about an hour and a half or two hours to read through a gospel. Uh, And then we'll have some time for snacks and reflection and and chatting afterwards. So plan maybe three-ish hours uh, to join us for that. So that's coming up on the 3rd. Next up, Christmas in Garfield. December 9th. This is an amazing event put on by our neighbors just south of us called Aim Right Ministries. They help at-risk youth in Central Phoenix. And the Garfield neighborhood, in case you guys didn't know this, is one of the lower income neighborhoods in Phoenix. Many of our neighbors have sometimes a a tough time putting on a lot of the Christmas things that many of us take for granted. And actually their celebrations can be uh, informative and instructive for us as we enter into this Christmas season. To remember, it's not just about gifts and grabbing as our culture likes to tell us, but it's actually about giving ourselves away. And so this is a massive event. We need dozens of volunteers for Christmas in Garfield. Uh, It's going to be December 9th all morning. You can do a ton of different things. You can dress up as a superhero to take pictures with kids. I heard that there's going to be a Santa there. You could dress up as one of Santa's elves. But it's not just dressing up. You can also clean up trash. You can hand out gifts. You can serve food. There's going to be all sorts of opportunities to serve and love our neighbors. It's an amazing, amazing thing. The whole neighborhood of Garfield shows up for this event. It's a way for us to love our neighbors really well. So sign up on our website, Christmas in Garfield, December 9th, 830 to 1230. And then finally, fourth announcement. Oh, is there not? I thought there was one more. Nice, that's it. Well, guys. Thanks so much. And now I get to invite uh, my friends, Bruce and Kirk up, and they'll be initiating for us uh, an amazing gift of a a chartering service. So Kirk and Bruce, come on up.
1: Good morning. So grateful to uh, be with you all and uh, to celebrate this great day. Uh, We are thrilled for uh, what you will do for the kingdom here in this place. Uh, We are grateful to have this talented, gifted man to uh, uh, lead you and uh, talented, gifted elders uh, that we will be ordaining today and installing, too, to lead you all as well. Um, My name is Kirk Sexton. I'm the moderator of Hope Presbytery and associate pastor at Mountain View Presbyterian Church. And this is Bruce Johnson. Bruce Johnson is an associate pastor at Mountain View Presbyterian Church. And I think, were you a moderator, moderator at one time too? I
4: was the interim moderator. Oh, you were the interim moderator. Uh, not as esteemed as you.
1: Okay. This is very Presbyterian. I know it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> what that means is that I represent uh, brothers and sisters in the uh, eco-covenant order of evangelical Presbyterian churches. So um, I think there is nine other churches that um, I am representing today. Um, We are here to um, celebrate with you this morning, and you are moving from being a church plant to a particular church in your own right, and that is something really to celebrate. Um, This will involve promises and prayers, some wise words and much celebration. Uh, We will both install your Pastor Clint and ordain and install your first class of elders. Then I will uh, deliver a formal declaration that you are in fact a church in the uh, eco-denomination. So I'll turn it over to Pastor Brutz. So the first part of
4: this is to install the pastor. And so I've got some questions of you Uh, Later on, these questions will sound familiar because they'll be very similar to the questions that we ask of that first class of elders. Clint, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you boldly declare Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church?
0: Yes, boldly.
4: Good. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the word of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, the unique witness to Jesus Christ, and the authority for Christian faith and life. Will you receive, adopt, and be bound by the essential tenets of ECO as a reliable exposition of what scripture teaches us to do and to believe, and will you be guided by them in your life and ministry? Relying on the Holy Spirit, do you humbly submit to God's call on your life, committing yourself to God's mission and fulfilling your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of scripture and guided by our confessions. Will. will you be governed by the eco's polity and discipline, and will you be accountable to your fellow elders, deacons, and pastors as you lead? It goes on. Do you promise to be faithful in maintaining the truth of the gospel, the peace, unity, and purity of the church? I do. Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. And will you be a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ by proclaiming the good news, teaching the faith, showing the people God's mission,
1: and caring for the people? And now I have uh, questions for you, the congregation. Do we, the covenant partners of this congregation, accept Clint, as our pastor called by God through the voice of this church to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ according to the word of God and the constitution of ECO. do. Do we agree to pray for him, to encourage him, to respect his decisions and to follow as he guides us serving Jesus Christ who alone is the head of the church? Do you agree to pay him fairly and provide for his welfare as he works among us? Will, um, will we listen to the word he preaches, welcome his pastoral care, and honor his servant leadership and authority as he seeks to honor Jesus Christ? At this time, um not oh, you?
4: have to do the transition words here, so. Uh, In scripture, we read about how leaders in the early church gave authority to new leaders by the laying on of hands and prayer. Uh, We see that in Acts chapter six, when the apostles turned over responsibility to the first class of deacons, laid hands on them and prayed. Uh, Clint, we've always already done that for you. Uh, So we're having a different type of laying on of hands and prayer uh, today, and that's a prayer of installation. And we see that in Acts chapter 13 when Paul and Barnabas were sent out as early Christian missionaries. They uh, were set apart for a specific work uh, to which God had called them. And that's what we will do when we pray for you as you begin the specific work as pastor of a newly formed church. So I'm going to ask, uh, you don't have to kneel for this one. You're already ordained. But I'm going to ask anybody who would, in the congregation who would like to join in this blessing of your pastor to come forward, and we're going to lay hands on Clint and pray.
1: pray. Father in heaven. We gather today with grateful hearts as we welcome our newly installed pastor into our community. Grant him wisdom strength and compassion as he leads us on this spiritual journey. May your divine guidance be with him in every decision. And may his ministry be filled with grace, love, and understanding. Bless him with courage to shepherd our flock and inspire us to grow in our faith together and to reach out to people who don't know Jesus. All this we pray in your name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may return to your seats. Thank you. We'll now turn to the ordn- ordaining. No, I've got to do something. You have to do something. Oh, I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> so uh, at this time, I'm supposed to give a charge to the congregation. That, that sounds like something that's a transaction, like commercial, but that's sounds, not what it means. Sounds important. It sounds important. Mm-hmm. So um, a charge is when <laughs> I'm supposed to give a word of encouragement to all of you. And that charge today will take the form of a virtue and a verse. So the virtue I charge you with is steadfastness. And the verse comes from the very end of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, the very last verse, where he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And the counsel found here in this Bible verse is to hold on, to be steady, to keep on keeping on, to be resilient in the face of discouragement. Some of your friends and family have already expressed to you that they don't get it. You are doing what on Sunday mornings? Why would you want to get together with almost strangers and talk about God? I don't get it. The world is upside down, broken. And this is how you spend your time and energy. Why yes, yes it is. You are right, the world is broken. People are broken. Relationships are broken. Communities are broken. So we can't keep doing the same things in the same way and expect anything to change. That's denial, it doesn't work. So with God's help, here at Midtown, you are doing something different, something new. With God's help, you're building a new community, a caring community, you are becoming an asset to your neighborhood and to your neighbors always pointing the way to the great healer, the great redeemer, the great bridge builder, Jesus Christ. That's why it matters. That's why your pastor has promised to pray for you and will seek to serve you with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. Let nothing move you from that, brothers and sisters. Your labor is not in vain. Give yourselves fully to it. Be steadfast. Your neighbors need Jesus and they need Midtown Presbyterian Church. Amen.
1: Okay, now we can turn to the ordaining and installing of your
4: But that was kind of worth it,
1: wasn't it? It was was worth it. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you. I'm sorry, I just blew up past you. Um, So um, your elders have been examined regarding their faith in Christ and their adherence to the essential tenets of ECO. They have all passed that examination. And so I'd ask uh, those elders to come forward now. now. Right now, right now. Right now, right now. And then uh, Bruce is going to ask you the ordination questions for elders. And these will be the same questions except for the very
4: last that we ask of you. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you boldly declare Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church? Do you believe in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be be the word of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit the unique witness to Jesus Christ and the authority for Christian faith and life. Will you receive, adopt, and be bound by the essential tenets of ECO as a reliable exposition of what Scripture teaches us to do and to believe? And will you be guided by them in your life and ministry? Relying on the Holy Spirit, do you humbly submit to God's call on your life, committing yourself to God's mission? and fulfilling your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of scripture and guided by our confessions? Will you be governed by polity and discipline? And will you be accountable to your fellow elders, deacons, and pastors as you lead? Do you promise to be faithful in maintaining the truth of the gospel and the peace, unity, and purity of the church? Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, Intelligence, imagination, and love. Will you be faithful elders, watching over the people in their worship, nurture, and service to God?
1: And now a question for you, the congregation. Do we, the covenant partners of this congreg- congregation, accept these elders as chosen by God through the voice of this congregation? to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ, according to the word of God and the constitution of eco. Do we agree to pray for them, to encourage them, to respect their decisions and to follow as they guide us, serving Christ who alone is the head of the church.
4: And now we're going to both uh, ordain and install these uh, elders. So for this part, you can kneel if you are able, and we're going to ask, it, yeah, they didn't tell you about this. Maybe we'll do this on the carpet here. That's, I think that's going to be a little bit better, yeah. And then anybody who has uh, been ordained as either an elder or deacon or pastor, I ask you to come forward so we can lay hands on these new elders. Okay. Take a knee. Everybody's taking a knee. is good. Let's pray. Holy God, we are so grateful for the way that you call us to particular work for your people and for the community where you have planted your people. Lord, we pray that your spirit would rest in a special way on these new elders. Uh, give them wisdom so that they would not depend on their own wisdom, but by led, be led by you. Give them your vision so that they would not have to create it out of cleverness. but would seek to do your will always. And Lord, give them your heart to love those they encounter with the love of Jesus. All this we pray in the name of your son, our savior, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You may return to your seats.
1: By the authority given to me as moderator of Hope Presbytery, of ECO, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians, I declare that Midtown Presbyterian Church is now a chartered church and a particular congregation in our denomination be a flourishing church that makes disciples of Jesus Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, you guys. What a gift. And again, uh, as Presbyterian as that may have felt for everyone in the room, really, really amazing that we support one another as churches and that we
1: are not our own thing.
2: Thank you so much, Aaron. Friends, it's so good to be with you. My name is Gail Parker. If you don't know me, and um, I'm a retired pastor in the congregation, and so thrilled to be here on this particular day, for sure, for sure. I want to take just a moment of personal privilege and just say that many of you know that I what have been sick this fall. I got viral meningitis, was in the hospital. And um, I just want to thank you for your prayers for me and the meals that you brought to our home that uh, just were such a blessing to us. Martha made a, a beautiful purple um, blanket to keep me warm, and the grandkids now have stolen it. They love it. <laughs> but, um, boy, if, if you're new to this congregation and you want to know what church ought to be about, you're in the right place. What a blessing you've been. <clears throat> well, I want you to think now. Um, imagine yourself at my kitchen table, and you're overhearing a conversation. It goes like this. How come you gave him more milk than you gave me? That's not fair. Or you're overhearing a conversation between me and my girlfriends do you know she's the same age we are and she's got the face and the body of a forty year old that is not fair or you're reading some statistics that I recently read that women clergy are paid twelve thousand dollars less on average than male clergy that's not fair I can remember I read that, and I was remembering a conversation that I ever heard years ago between two elders that were on the finance committee that were dealing with raises, and one said to the other, not knowing I could hear it, we don't need to give her a raise. She's married, and her husband works. That wasn't fair. According to World Vision, 24% of people live in fragile contexts, characterized by impoverished, conditions, and dire circumstances, and by 2030, one half of the world's population will live in fragile contexts. That's not fair. I've been thinking about fairness as I've been thinking about the scripture that I'm about to preach on. Thinking about the fact that Fairness seems to be kind of wired into us from the time that we can engage with other people. And we measure fairness often based on is it fair to us or is it fair to those that we love? Is fairness the same thing as biblical justice? Sometimes I think the two words are interchangeable. But sometimes that which is just biblically doesn't seem fair to all the people that are involved. Uh, for those of you that grew up in church, you probably know the story of the prodigal son. Remember the young kid that goes away and spends all his family's money and abandons the family and, you know, just destroys his relationship. And he comes back home and the father is thrilled to see him and gives this humongous party. The older brother says, that is not fair. You never did that for me. Now to the father, it was right. It was just. It just didn't seem that way to the older brother. It's always tempting to measure what is fair from our vantage point, to see that which um, uh, seems right and fair to us because of, of how hard we've worked or how good we've been versus how bad someone else has been. We do that on an individual basis. We also do it, I think, sometimes because we're ignorant or perhaps indifferent to the, to the conditions of the world around us, the wider world outside of us. Our God is a just God. That's one of the profound characteristics of our God. And we are made in God's image and therefore God's people must seek to be just. And in Heidi Husted's word justice is never for just us. Listen for the scripture as I read it from 1 Samuel 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day The Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag, burned it down, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed none of it, but carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned down and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to wept to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was in great danger for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in spirit for their sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David said to the priest of Beathar son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered them, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, he and the six hundred men who were with him. They came to the Wadi Bessar, where those stayed stayed who were left behind. But David went on with the pursuit, he and four hundred men. Two hundred stayed behind, too exhausted to cross the Wadi Besar. In the open country, they found an Egyptian and they brought him to David. They gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. They also gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins. When he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong? Where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, sir- servant to an Amal- Amalekite. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid on the Negeb of the Terethites and on that which belongs to Judah and on the Negeb of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag down. David said to him, will you take me down to this raiding party? He said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. When he'd taken him down, they were spread out all over the ground, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great amount of spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David attacked them from twilight till the evening of the next day. Not one of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything that had been taken. David brought back everything. David also captured all the flocks and herds which were driven ahead of the other cattle, and people said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who'd been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the Wadi Besor. They went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. When David drew near to the people, He saluted them, and then all the corrupt and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go out with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we've recovered, except that each man may take his wife and children and leave. David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and handed us over to the raiding party that attacked us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For the share of the one who goes down into battle shall be the same as the share of the one who stays by the baggage they shall share alike. From that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel, and it continues to this present day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramath, of the Negab, in Datter, in Arroyer, in Sifmoth, in Eshtemoa, in Rascal, in the towns of the Jeremielites, in the towns of the Kenites, in Horma, in Borishan, in Asta, in Hebron, all the places where David and his men had roamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder of how we should live. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with my mouth. Please, Lord, speak through me. And give me, as well as all of us here, ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. And give us a will to be obedient. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. They had traveled. Around 60 miles to get to Ziklag, they were looking forward to being home, to being with their wives and their children, and they arrived, and the city has been burned to the ground, and there was no one there. And the men were absolutely devastated. Scripture says they wept until there were, they had no more strength. They had suffered a terrible injustice. To make it even worse for David, his own men turned against him. They wanted to stone him. Now, was that going to bring about justice? No. But they were angry and they were grieving and they wanted to kill someone. What do you do when you're angry or grieving? What do you do when you feel rage? It is a God-given emotion. You know anger is. C.S. Lewis said, anger is the fluid that love bleeds when it gets cut. How do you respond when an injustice has been done to you or to someone that you love dearly? Blame is a go-to, right? It's your fault. It's got to be somebody's fault. And often we turn against and blame our leaders like David's men did. Or we act out of anger. And we act quickly. We send somebody in with arms to, to kill the enemy if we have the power to do that. Or we send a a text that we should never have pushed the send button on. Or we say words that we really should never have said. David slowed himself down. If you weren't here last week, Tom talked about that in his message and, and I would really recommend listening to it. It's so important especially at times like this, to slow ourselves down. Scripture says David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, what does that mean, to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not merely venting. It's not merely going over and over and over what happened and why you're so mad. Now, You can certainly vent to the Lord. It's not like he doesn't know what's going on and and how you feel about it. But it's not merely venting. I have a friend right now who is raging. And all he wants to do is vent. It's been very clear to me he doesn't want input. He doesn't want to listen to anybody. He just wants to tell everyone how wronged he's been. And he's stuck. He's stuck in the venting strengthening yourself in the lord is not merely venting so what do you do well first and foremost you remember god's character david was an expert at that if you read the psalms he is constantly reminding himself of who god is what his character is he's merciful he's just He's a deliverer. He names over and over and over again the ways that God has delivered in the past, which gives him hope for God's deliverance in the future. He's a a rescuer. He's a refuge. He's a fortress. He's a God of steadfast love. Remind yourself of God's character. Andrew Boner, Free Church of Scotland pastor, wrote in his diary on October 15th, 1864 of his grievous wound. Isabella, his wife of 17 years, had died of complications in um, due to childbirth. And he wrote in his diary on that day that according to his custom he'd been meditating on a scripture text. And on that day it had been Nahum one The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him the Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble he knows those who take refuge in him he was meditating on that he was praying it he was saying it over and over to himself he was breathing it in and breathing it out that promise of God's word that affirmation of God's character kept him on his feet how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord Remember who God is, remember his character, and access his presence, be with him. David went to Abiathar, his priest, he called for his priest, and then he asked for him to bring the lots that were uh, related to the ephod. It was the way in David's day that he would seek God's presence and God's guidance, We don't have a Beathar, we don't have the ephod that we're using anymore, but we do have a high priest, a great high priest. The writer to Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Because we have such a high priest, we are confidently to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. David draws near and he asks God, should I go after him? Will I be able to rescue them? And he gets a clear answer, yes. When we access God's presence through prayer, through scripture, sometimes we get that clear answer. Sometimes we don't get the clear answer, but we always, always get grace to help in times of need, always. I've realized through the years that sometimes I want information, but I really don't need more information. What I need is patience. What I need is God's grace. What I need is a reminder that I am beloved by God and I'm not alone. What I need is to be enveloped in his love. What I need is the Holy Spirit to fill me so that I can fight whatever the battle is as a person who is made in the image of Christ. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. The men end up um, at the Wadi Besar, not They hadn't traveled too far, actually. And they end up at this riverbed And two of the men of the 600 men say they're too tired, they can't go on. So they stay behind. And in the open country as David pursues, they meet this random Egyptian and there's this interesting detail about how they give him food and water and how they basically save his life. It's interesting, but is it random? David might know that he's after the Amalekites. He might, but the text doesn't tell us that he knows. And it's not like when uh, tribes raided and burned cities in those days, they left a calling card saying it was us. Even if he knew it was them, how in the world would he ever find them? See, the discovery of that Egyptian man was an absolute necessity. Do you see that? Did you see it when we read the scripture? David sees it. And David sees it clearly. He asks him some questions. He finds out that he was a a slave to the Amalekites, that he was actually there when they burned Ziklag. David says, you know, can you take us to him? And he says, yeah, sure. If If you'll protect me, I know where they are. Can you see this man was not, it's not a random detail. He's key to the whole thing. And God, David sees God's hands all over this. David sees God's hands over the whole thing. How God strengthened him. How God said, go after them. You'll, you'll get your women and your children back. How God provided this, this Egyptian. How when they, when they arrive at the camp, these it's just easy to get the women and children back because they're just having a party, celebrating. David sees God's hands all over it. The men don't necessarily, especially some of them, but David says in verse 23, this is what God has given us. It's all what God has given It's a gift. It's grace. This is all grace. From time to time, I have an opportunity to share parts of my faith life with a man that I'm going to call Sam. One of the biggest chasms I've realized over the months that I've been able to do this is when I tell my faith story, I, it's so clear to me that God brought that doctor or that person or that this happened at exactly that time. It's so clear to me that it's, God's hand is on it. And when I tell my friend, Sam, he doesn't see God at all. A few months ago, I had uh, scheduled to have a knee replacement with a particular orthopedic surgeon in town, but I'd heard mixed reviews about this guy, and I wasn't sure, should I do it or should I, with him in particular, or or not do it. So I'd been praying about it. I asked my covenant group, and they were all praying about it, and... And I had shared with Sam the dilemma that I was feeling about, should I do this with this guy or not? One day, out of the blue, my sister, who lives in Tucson, calls me. And she said, I'm calling to tell you, you should not have surgery with this particular doctor. Turns out that my sister has a friend who's good friends with a couple of very good friends of the surgeon. And one of them had had surgery by him, and they knew people who had had surgery, so my sister's telling them about me and some of the issues r- related to me. And and these good friends of this surgeon said to my sister, you tell your sister, don't have surgery with this guy. It's a too big of a risk. Okay, to me, that was crystal clear, an answered a prayer from God. I mean, it was just... How could you not see that in my way of thinking? So I'm telling Sam later, and I'm saying, you know, it's just so cool how God is protecting. And, And Sam says, well, Gail, the universe is telling you something. I'm like, the universe? What is so clear to me is not clear at all to Sam. What about you? Do you see God's hand? Can you see where God is moving? One of the best ways to do that is to pay attention to your life and be grateful all the way through your life, who you are, what you have, what happened. All of those things, how has God been at work? David sees it so clearly, but some of his men really don't. Maybe they thought it was luck. Maybe they, maybe they were proud. Maybe they thought, we are the best soldiers in the world. Look at what we just did. Or maybe they're just spiritually numb. But David sees God's provision. All of this was God's provision. He knows that's why they were able to bring justice for their wives and their children. He knows that justice was not merely for just us. Because God's goodness is never for just us. So they arrive back at the Brook Bessar, and there's 200 guys that are there that didn't go with them. And the scene, that's the climax of this whole event. We already know that David's men are not the, the specimen of the, of the best breeding. We've learned that in other passages as we've gone through 1 Samuel. But here we see very clearly that some of them are just mean and nasty and selfish. And they propose, look, they can have their wives and children, but they don't get any of this plunder. It's only fair, right? We fought, they didn't, we get to keep more than they get. reminds me of the parable that Jesus told of the laborers in the vineyard, and he hires some at the beginning of the day, some in the middle of the day, some at the end of the day, and at the end of the day, he pays everybody the same thing. And the people that worked all day are going, that's not fair. We worked longer. And, and the owner of the vineyard said, you know what? You agreed to work for that amount of money. I, I was faithful. I gave you what I told you I would pay you. And then he says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this to the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose what belongs to me? Or, or this is the key line, are you envious? Because I'm generous. Are you envious? Because I'm generous. Justice is never about just us. It's always about being generous to the weaker and the vulnerable and the ones who are not as able as others of us. Talking about justice, the Holman Bible Dictionary says, Justice presupposes God's intention for people to be in community. When people had become poor and weak with respect to the rest of the community, they were to be strengthened so they could be effective members of the community. This is illustrated by the provision in the Old Testament of the year of Jubilee, in which at the end of the 50-year period, land is restored to those who lost it through sale or foreclosure or debts. Such justice can be socially disruptive. In the Jubilee year as some received back land, others lose recently acquired additional land and the advantage to some is a disadvantage to others. Justice is grace received and grace shared. For the fairness party in David's group, sharing the plunder meant more for others but less for them. How was that fair? David David stifles their fairness thinking when he says, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He's preserved us, handed over to us the raiding party. Who would listen to you in this matter? For the share of the one who goes down to battle shall be the the same as the share of the one who stays with the baggage. Temptation is always to put ourselves first. David not only shared with those who left behind, but he shared with the cities. That was the end of that scripture passage. Cities that had been generous to them, to David and his men, when they needed things. And so he shared with, uh, with others that were outside of his own community even. From the Old Testament prophets to this passage where David gets at least some of it right... To Jesus, who died for those of us who didn't deserve it, Scripture is always telling us that we have a choice: just us or justice. Dan Price was the founder of Gravity Payment, which was a card is a card payment company. He was the CEO. He made a million dollars a year. He lived in a gorgeous home overlooking Puget Sound, which is. Um, Outside of Seattle, Washington, and in 2015, he all of a sudden uh, just took stock and he realized, you know, more money's not making me more happy. And he looked at his employees, and they were um, they were suffering. They were they were really struggling. Seattle's one of the most expensive areas in the country to make a living wage. And so in 2015, he cut his salary by 90 percent so that he could pay a minimum wage to all his employees of $70,000. The prophets, including Micah, say, do justice. You're in a leadership position like David or like Dan Price. What can you do to make sure that you do justice to those for whom you're responsible? For whom you have authority. As a church. As we've just um, kind of been coming into our own. The leadership of this church has been very good to. To hold before us. We're not. It's not just about us. Church is not just about us. But how will we continue to prioritize that. Will we. We. W- will we just prioritize a, a nicer building or more staff and more programs for children and and uh, the things that matter to us all which are potentially really important priorities but not merely that will we continue to care about the neighbors well what pr- percentage of our budget will go to those not part of us yet and maybe never will be part of us Injustice in the world is overwhelming, just absolutely overwhelming. And yet, when you read scripture, you cannot miss God's passion that justice is done for those, especially who are poor and weak and vulnerable and not as able. We can't do everything for sure. I can't fix it, (laughs) but I can do something. I can note God's provision and I can say, I've received such grace, how can I give it? I can read and be thoughtful about what's going on in the world and not be indifferent. I can pay attention to what government and, and companies are, are, have just practices and those that don't and support those that do and not those that don't. I can pray I can ask God to help me treat others justly. I can have the courage to stand up for somebody in my own little circle of my own little world that needs justice. Does David always get it right? No. But this time, he does some things that that can help us if we pay attention. To strengthen ourselves in the Lord to recognize where he has provided, and to practice justice wherever we can.